Hello everyone, it's Daisha. Welcome to the 200th episode of Classical Classroom! In this episode, we'll be counting down some of our favorite episodes of all Classical Classroom time. Though, I gotta make it clear, we love all of our guests and our shows equally. No, really. Also, if you want for us to make 200 more episodes, please remember to subscribe to, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. It makes a big difference. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Classical Classroom 200th episode Top 10 Countdown. I'm Daisha Clay, and this is a countdown of top Classical Classroom episodes of all time. Well, at least since 2013. Let's get started with number 10. Classroom hits from coast to coast. Classroom top 40. Uh, actually, it's just 10 shows. But uh, anyway... Coming in at number 10 is the story of Jarek Bischoff. He's a musician who sailed around the world with his family playing music in ports as a young person. It sounds incredibly romantic and adventurous. Just think of all the cultures and music he must have been exposed to along the way. What an education. But actually, that's not quite what happened. We had a family band, you know, on our boat, and we would set up all of our instruments on top of our boat and have... Other boaters tie up their little uh, rafts to the side of our boat, and we perform concerts, you know, like out in the middle of nowhere and stuff. Wow. But another thing we would do is as soon as we'd arrive in a new port, we'd walk around and find out who the rad musicians were locally (laughs) and then set up jam sessions and and find a bar that would let us all play music together and and do it. Wow. Which is great, but... (laughs) It all sounds so romantic and and great, but it's funny because us as a family, we were like, "Oh, let's play your music. Let's play Latin music. Let's let's dive right into it." And yeah. all of them were like, "Let's play Jimi Hendrix and Carlos Santana <laughs> and you know all this all this music that is from our culture." We were we were wanting to play each other's cultures' music instead of instead of a, me, us like being immersed in all this this stuff. So, you know, I played like Jimmy Buffett songs more than probably Jimmy Buffett has played Jimmy Buffett songs. Just every time I would set up my my instrument, they'd be like, "What do you what songs do you know?" and I'd be like, "Well, you're not going to know the songs I know. I'll play whatever you know." And inevitably every single time it was like the first thing out of their ma- mouth was, "Uh, Margaritaville?" And like, "Oh, oh. gosh, here we go again." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> did your soul just die a little bit every time somebody asked you to play that? It honestly did. But, you yeah. know, I would figure out ways to, like, slap and tap and, and anything. So <laughs> I, I played some very strange arrangements of Margaritaville. That is great. <laughs> what is it with Jimmy Buffett and Sailors? I got to... Yeah, it's just <laughs> tell me about it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a real thing. And that was Jarek Bischoff at spot number 10 on our countdown. Moving two slots up the charts this week at number 9 is someone you may have heard of, John Luther Adams. Mr. Adams is not your average bear when it comes to composing music. He became an environmentalist and moved to Alaska in 1975 where he lived for 40 years. And he brings that feeling of outdoor spaces into concert halls around the globe with his music. 
He's a Grammy winner. His piece Become Ocean debuted at number one on the Billboard charts. And here's John on Classical Classroom talking about, of course, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, the pop musician, just donated $50,000 to the Seattle Symphony because she loved their performance of Become Ocean. And I was just wondering, um, first, just what your opinion of that was. Like, what, what were your thoughts when you heard that news? Well, I was, I was delighted. Mm-hmm. What a generous and, and, and classy and open-minded um, thing that is. Yeah. yeah. Do you, you know, I, I think about Frank Zappa introducing me and my generation to Varese and mm-hmm. this whole new world of music, and maybe Taylor Swift is doing something similar. Yeah. For her fan, uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm encouraged. That, I'm encouraged that more and more young people seem to be discovering not only my music but this kind of music. You know that that uh, we're talking about this, whatever you want to call it, contemporary classical music, new music. Um, I don't know what to call it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but I think part of what what listeners tell me they're responding to is uh, the the sensuous nature of the sound itself. And for me, music is uh, uh, music is about a lot of things, but uh, one of the primary things that music is about is sound. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's something that comes from my own past as, as a rock musician. I mean, I was really in touch with that primal, that visceral, that physical energy of the best rock music. Right. And um, I, I think I still aspire to something similar in my own music, and I respond to to something similar in 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 all music. I mean, I respond to the the sensuality of Debussy or Sibelius. Yeah, it's just about sound—the beautiful, miraculous power of sound to touch us and move us. John Luther Adams at spot number nine on the Classical Classroom 200th episode top ten countdown. Classroom top forty. No, this is still just a top ten countdown, so... Coming in at number eight, something completely different. This electroacoustic duo from San Francisco do a lot for new classical music, commissioning works from composers like Christopher Cerrone and Anna Meredith. Guitarist Travis Andrews and percussionist Andy Meyerson, who make up the Living Earth show, have been called a chamber music duo disguised as a rock band. And speaking of rock bands, they've got a lot to say on the subject, particularly about one drummer in one band. I think that when Andy and I are like interpreting music and we'll hear something and instead of like trying to make what we're playing some allusion to like a canonized classical music Mm -hmm. work, we'll be like, oh, that sounds like Lars Ulrich like on his drum kit falling down a flight of stairs. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and totally just like get inspired by the sound of, you know, that guy who can't play to begin with just tumbling down some stairs, you know, just like (laughs) swatting at drums. Oh, wait a minute. Did you just say that Lars can't play? Oh my God. Oh, he's oh he's not. Yes, yes. I, well, I love, but I love him. But like, I absolutely love him because you know he's just like a little. I think he's clean now, but this just little ball of cocaine energy. And he is adorable, and he has more money than God. And you know, like I love him. Like I love him. I love listening to him play because there's there's something that is really important to like exp- like people that play technically demanding music. Yeah, is when it sounds easy, mm-hmm. like when I watch like Steve Vai or like Greg Koch or something like play guitar and then they just make it look so easy because they're so good 
I'm just bored out of my mind. Um, but there's like something so special about someone like playing at like the very limit or maybe a little bit past the very limit of their technical yeah. ability that is so magic. And nobody is more emblematic of that than Lars Ulrich. <laughs> that was the Living Earth Show at spot number eight on our countdown. Classroom hits from coast to coast. Classroom top 40. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll hear from an old friend of the show. This is David Clay, and I love a classical classroom. And not just because my awesome, beautiful, and talented daughter is the host. I love it because it's educational, entertaining, and contains the appropriate amount of silliness. I do believe I have been mentioned in a couple of episodes for my trumpet playing skills. Best wishes for 200 more episodes of Classical Classroom. If you're just joining us, welcome to the countdown. Classroom hits from coast to coast. The Classroom Top 40. No, no, this is still just the top 10 countdown. So at number seven for the second week in a row is every episode that Rachel Barton Pine has been in. And folks, let me tell you, it's a lot. Rachel? Welcome to the Classical Classroom. Great to be here. Rachel, welcome back. Always great to talk to you, Daisha. Rachel, welcome back to Classical Classroom. Great to be back. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice. Rachel barton Pine, welcome back to the Classical Classroom. Great to be here again. Rachel, welcome back to Classical Classroom. Great to be back. Thanks for having me on. We love every visit Rachel makes to the show, and in fact, we've made her an honorary member of the Classical Classroom team. Let's hear a little something from a recent episode about Brooke and Elgar. Here, Rachel's talking about how Elgar invented the sticky note. I always think it's a collaboration between performer and composer, even if the composer is long dead, that you have to try to get inside their head and figure out what they wanted by looking at the score and reading historic correspondence and, you know, just whatever resources exist. But then you also have to sort of key into your own instincts because if mm-hmm. if it doesn't feel right, you know, like you can intellectualize all you want, but if it doesn't feel right, then it's not going to be effective for the audiences. Yeah. So you have to have everything you can of the composer plus the best of yourself coming together. Right. What was your your favorite takeaway? What do you feel like you learned about Elgar as a person, like like going into this in-depth experience of well, playing just, and recording this music? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny to read his flowery writing about how much his dear friends mean to him and stuff. And I love the stories of his creation of the concerto. There was a violinist, a great London concertmaster named Billy Reed, who would come over to his house and he would have different versions of the same passages stuck up, and you know, like little bits of paper, you know, writing down different possible variations of an idea and they'd be stuck all over his walls around the room and some on the backs of chairs and others on the mantelpiece and the violinist would walk around the room playing all the options and Elgar would excitedly you know discuss what he heard and they would come to some decisions and you know that just seems like such a vivid scene of you know Elgar just being so enthusiastic and just (laughs) searching for what's exactly the right solution. And number seven Miss Rachel Barton Pine. Always great to hear from old friends. We'll meet you on the other side of this quick break. Classroom hits from coast to coast. 
A big congratulations to you, Daisha Clay, and to the classical classroom. This is Valerie Hartzell, and thank you so much for having had me on your show twice, representing the classical guitar, both talking about its technique, its composers, as well as talking a little bit about the history of the classical guitar. So huge congratulations to you. This is back when I was living in Houston, and now I am in England saying cheers to you. Bye. As we continue our countdown of the top 10 Classical Classroom episodes of the last 200, we come to number 6. We couldn't anticipate that a Norwegian tuba soloist would set our show sailing up the iTunes podcast charts. But Oisin Bodsvik is not your average tuba player. He's the composer of a piece called Fnug, which is basically beatboxing into a tuba. And though he plays with major orchestras and teaches master classes at places like Juilliard, he's decidedly punk rock. In the early 90s, I was doing another crazy thing. I was playing with a, a, f a punk band called Cod Lovers in Sweden. And we were going to do a, a concert on a disco in uh, Stockholm, I think it was. And we had the sound check in the morning. Everyone was happy. And then we went, we left the instruments there at the disco and we went each to our different places. And then the evening when the concert came the band was there and I came a little bit late and I was stopped in the door by the guard and he said so where's your ticket ticket I, I don't have a ticket because I play here yeah and what do you play he said I play tuba with the cod lovers <laughs> punk band and he was just laughing he said okay we've had people saying that they play guitar with them and they play <laughs> piano and whatever but tubo that was a new one now go and get your <laughs> ticket uh, and i was a little upset by this so i was uh, uh, beginning to sort of try to pass him anyway and they sort of went for help and they it was a little like fuss upstairs when uh, when he went to get someone else to help me being thrown out and then the band leader was up there and he could confirm that I actually did play the tuba with the Cod Lover so that concert went real well when I eventually got into the disco <laughs> and you avoided <laughs> a fist fight <laughs> I avoided the fist fight I was ready though <laughs> <laughs> you were ready to go <laughs> that's awesome that's, that's the best rock and roll tuba story and also the only rock and roll tuba story I have ever heard <laughs> And at spot number six, that was Oystein Bodsvik on the top ten classical classroom episodes of all time. We'll be back right after this. Daisha, I am your sister from another mister. It's Alicia Lawyer, and Rocco loves classical classroom. The classroom top 40. We love hearing from the guests who've been on our show. If you're just joining us, we're counting down the top 10 episodes of Classical Classroom of all time. I'm Daisha Clay. Coming in at number five is a guest who shocked even us. We cheered when we truly detected that Katniss's coach was able to take a break to be on our show to talk about his surprising new change of careers. It was, after all, April Fool's Day, so we weren't sure if he would show. But here he is. Well, all great actors, I think, a lot of them eventually move into uh, music. David Bowie, he was a great actor in Labyrinth, and then he went 
I think he had a pretty successful music career after that. Tom Waits. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he's, you know, Book of Eli, I think. And and he had some music. Yeah. And Oh, and Elvis. He were, had those movies about Hawaii. Woody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there because I think you, you may be thinking of this backwards. You know, David Bowie was a really famous musician who, who, who made a crossover into movies. It wasn't the other way around. That's, uh, cart before the horse, I guess. <laughs> I don't. Either way, either way. It's all started because I was. I, I met up with Sting and uh, he inspired me to start going into this renaissance movie and he, he's another actor you know that, that got, got into music dune was a great film that uh, then i guess he used that to go into his music career um so so he introduced me to this early music and and started encouraging me to be a musician come again sweet love doth now invite thy graces that refrain to do Touch to kiss to die with thee again in sweetest sympathy. Yeah, so I started exploring kind of this Renaissance period unique instruments, uh, and, and that's really my passion right now. Okay, all right. Well, I see you've brought a whole box of stuff today. Yeah, do you want to tell me about some of the uh, instruments that you brought with you? Okay, yeah, I got I got a few of these. Uh, so I got, let me see here. Uh, I'm not good at pronouncing some of these, but the, oh, the bladder pipe. Bladder pipe. Yeah, that's a good one. The okay. bladder pipe. Uh, and what does that sound like? The, uh, oh, here we go. The bladder pipe. Sometimes it's hard to hold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, here, here we go. It's going to be... <laughs> an accordion and coming in at number five that was well we think you can guess who it was we'll meet you on the other side of this quick break classroom hits from coast to coast hey classical classroom guys this is uh woody just wanted to say you know you really helped me uh kick off my career in unique renaissance instruments it's just been it's just been a whirlwind of success since you uh had that podcast now that you've done like 200 of these things over the many years or whatever months or well whatever uh between this and and the star wars uh, are the two reasons uh, I, I've kind of revitalized my career here. And huzzah! And welcome back to our countdown. This episode is new to the charts and dear to our hearts. Coming in at number four is the inimitable Jennifer Coe. Jennifer made her debut with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra at the tender age of 11. She studied at Curtis, has played with orchestras all over the world, and has released 15 albums. Jennifer is inarguably great at violin, but she's less great at other things. I'm super not athletic in terms of balls and stuff. Like, <laughs> I can't catch anything. Um, but it's kind of like 
what I imagine people do when they, you know, play baseball. When they or when they do sportsing. Well, like I yeah. I remember like sometimes they try to do these like amateur. Like, they would put me on, like, a softball team. Uh-huh. Like, you know, like, the chamber musicians versus this group or something. Uh-huh. And they would always, of course, put me, like, I don't even know what it's called, you know, far out where people, like, throw the, you know, when it's, like, a I think that's the outfield. I think that's like what that. it's called. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, and they give they gave me a mitt, and... You know, two hours into the game, like a ball is heading towards my way, and they were like, "Jenny, catch it! Jenny, catch it! Run towards it!" <laughs> and then at the end, and I was like, "I think I have it! I think I have!" And then I just put the mitt on top of my head because I was afraid of getting hit. They <laughs> <laughs> were like, and I completely failed them. This is fantastic. <laughs> so Jennifer Co, great at violin, not so much at softball. Horrible at softball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a. At number four, you just heard Jennifer Coe on the Classical Classroom Top 10 Episodes of All Time. Continuing our 200th episode countdown of the Top 10 Classical Classroom Episodes of All Time is a fan favorite. Coming in at number three, Kurt Stallman, an unassuming academic, or maybe a dark horse. You decide. Number three. In this episode of Classical Classroom, Kurt taught me all about something called Bach Inventions, and it frankly blew my mind. You talk about linear and vertical. So we have linear and linear and now we have vertical here. And as the two voices come together at a mm-hmm. certain point in time together to change the emphasis between the tones. And here again. Now what happens after this? This is really fascinating to me. Does that sound familiar at all? It sounds like what we just heard only played backwards. Exactly. You're awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Right? Because he turned it upside down. Just turned it upside down. Yeah, so it's the same material upside down. Now, what about this? This is a little bit trickier, but you it's, have to remember that one of his materials is time. Okay. I'm trying to, just watching your fingers on the keyboard. Okay, now listen to our beginning. I'm going to play it slower. Okay. Now listen to this. It's almost as if you're playing, you're playing the the front half first, and then the back half after. You are amazing. Oh, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) No, right. So, so about what we've done, we've slowed it down. Okay. Right. And that's part of it. Yeah. So imagine time is elastic. Mm. Right. So some things da 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 becomes da 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 da. Right. And so now listen. Now you can hear this. No. Okay. Now listen. Mm-hmm. 
yeah so you can hear all those little yeah. things in there now yeah yeah and it. now that's exactly it so it's like all these little materials are coming together and they're shaped mm-hmm. they're shaped and and with it's like patterns within patterns within patterns and all of these patterns begin to form larger patterns and then those larger patterns become sections in themselves mm. and this is to me you know the beauty of this i mean i could spend here we could talk for hours just about this tiny little piece and all of the things going on in it yeah. that's i mean i feel like we've only talked about like we only what? talked about the first six measures <laughs> it's crazy but the thing is as you can I think, I hope you actually start to hear some of those things, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the material. You can imagine. It's like a, seeing a visual pattern, mm-hmm. right? And that's what gives a visual pattern some consistency when you see it. Similarly, over time, these materials, they're, they're repeated, they're altered, they're changed, but they're shaped so that you get a sense of the pattern, the mm-hmm. overall pattern. And coming in at number three, Mr. Kurt Stallman. The Classroom Top. No, no, this is still just the top 10 countdown, so we'll meet you on the other side of this quick break. Hi, Daisha. This is Angela Mitchell. I am proud to say that I was on, I think, the second ever episode of Classical Classroom, and I can't believe you're up to 200. Congratulations, my dear, and here's to another 200 more. Welcome back to a countdown of the top 10 Classical Classroom episodes of all time. I'm your host, Daisha. The number two episode on the charts really never should have happened, given that all of the guests in it, Leonard Bernstein, Glenn Gould, and Igor Stravinsky, have all been dead for a long time. But that didn't stop the terrific trio from teaching me a few things about classical music. And it didn't stop them from being polite hosts, either. Old habits, as they say, die hard. Number two! Till then, just a drop of scotch. Mr. Stravinsky! I don't usually drink before noon, but since it's a special occasion... Never would help it. Wonderful. <coughs> Dear God. <laughs> okay, Igor, thanks. Um, well, uh, speaking of distractions, d- do you guys go to shows? Do you, um, do you go out to concerts and things like that, uh, Glenn? No, almost never. I, I think I've been to about three concerts in the last year. Um, all of which were by friends of mine, and it was a political diplomatic duty to go. <laughs> uh, I'm extremely uncomfortable at concerts, in fact. I huh. find that for me the, the real approach to music is um, is sitting at home, is the narcissistic one, is listening to recordings. I, I'm intensely uncomfortable when I have to project within myself what must be going through the mind of somebody else since I know what goes on. I'm much too close to the business to enjoy it in that way. But I love listening to recordings where nothing can go wrong. It's Mm -hmm. done and that's that. Mm -hmm. I wish that when people are not in a mood to listen to music that they would turn the darn thing off. (laughs) Why is that, Aaron? Because that kind of casual bathing in musical sounds without listening to it, that's not at all the composer's idea. Mm-hmm. Huh. If you want to really listen to what he has to say, listen. Otherwise, forget it. You know, mm-hmm. Don't just let it on there as a, like wallpaper on a wall that just is around sure. you because it makes a kind of pleasant sound. Listening to it with all our power of attention and concentration. You know who my favorite composer is? Who? Guess. Um... Bach? Bach or Schoenberg, if I were identifying, hopefully, with a master technician, yes. But in terms mm. of spiritual quest, no. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Okay. Orlando Gibbons. Who? 
There is only one that I'm aware of, the Yolanda Gibbons, the late 16th, early 17th composer. Sorry, sorry I've never heard of him. So, so why this guy? In the sense that um, whether he's right or whether he's wrong, or whether he is putting anguished cross-relations as he loved to do, the G-naturals against the G-sharps, the end of modality, the beginning of tonality, you know, um, whether he's writing the purest hymns that could have been done by Purcell or Handel or Mendelssohn or whatever, or Charles Wesley, um, I can put myself somehow into his schematic shoes and say, yeah, yeah, I would have done that at that time, you know. Well, that's interesting, Glenn. I, I kind of thought it would have been somebody more contemporary. Floating into number two, you just heard Leonard Bernstein, Glenn Gould, and Igor Stravinsky from the beyond in the Classical Classroom 200th episode Top 10 Countdown. The Classroom Top 40! Like I said, just the, the 10. Can, can somebody talk to the sound engineer? If you're just joining us, we're counting down the top 10 episodes of Classical Classroom of all time. I'm Daisha Clay. We'll be back right after these messages. Classical Classroom, it's Brett Mitchell, music director of the Colorado Symphony and proud alum of two Classical Classroom episodes, episode four and episode 115, both discussing John Williams' music for Star Wars. Just a quick message to wish you a very happy 200th episode and all the best for 200 more. May the Force be with you. Welcome back to the Classical Classroom 200th episode Top 10 Countdown. I'm Daisha Clay. Number one! And finally, our number one episode. For the 250th week running, it's of course Star Wars with Brett Mitchell. When we first met Brett, he was just a Padawan. Now, Brett is a music director of the Colorado Symphony Orchestra, hanging out with people like Yo-Yo Ma and Renee Fleming. But no matter how high he climbs up the ladder of success in the classical music world, we know that Brett is a Jedi-level nerd. Here he is talking about the greatest film score of all time, Star Wars. So that's the main theme, but it's also the theme that depicts Luke Skywalker anytime you hear it, especially in the original three films. So, for example, the very first time that we ever meet Luke Skywalker on Tatooine, his, uh, they're, on, they're out in the desert, and his aunt calls him, calls his name, shouts his name. There's been music before, and all of a sudden the music stops, and the horn plays. And that's it. But it's enough to let you know that it's Luke. I should mention, too, because of something we're going to listen to in a little bit, that this tune does have two strains. In other words, there's a first part of it and a second part of it. So we all know that part. Mm -hmm. The second part is... So that's the B strain mm -hmm. of that tune. Another tune that shows up in the very first film and quite early on is a theme that's associated originally with Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's sort of the Jedi master. We don't know that yet. We know him as Ben Kenobi. Mm -hmm. And that tune is also probably pretty recognizable. This is Obi-Wan Kenobi's theme.
But it also becomes known as the force theme. Basically, the the religion, if you want to call it that, Mm -hmm. of Star Wars. It's interesting that Wagner employed this with opera. Mm Mm-hmm. And that John Williams had the the sort of presence of mind to bring that to film. Yeah. When George Lucas was in sort of the final production phase of Star Wars, he called it over and over again to Johnny, as he knew him, John Williams. <laughs> he said, this is a space opera. And he said, he said, it's so important for me that the audience feels comfortable with something. And they're not going to feel comfortable with what they're seeing on the screen because it's totally foreign to them. It's lightsabers, which nobody's ever heard of. They're kind of a laser sword. And then there's blasters, which are like, you know, laser guns and all of this. And it's characters we've never seen. He said, I really think that we would be best served by having an extremely traditional romantic Hmm. score that uses those ideas of the leitmotif. So it really, frankly, was John Williams and the Star Wars score that brought back this style of film composing. And in the Yoda position on our countdown, you heard Brett Mitchell talking about Star Wars in the Classical Classroom Top 10 Countdown. All right, everyone, thank you for joining us for this countdown of episodes in the 200th episode of Classical Classroom. Without you, I'd literally just be talking to myself in a room, which I do off mic all the time, but, you know, that's different. Uh, Anyway, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Star Wars, that is. Subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast wherever you listen. If you want to keep the show going for another 200 episodes, help us out by making a gift on our website at classicalclassroomshow.com. Just look for the little thingy that says tip jar. Thanks today to the home of Classical Classroom, King FM, where the dishes seem to never end. They are Sisyphean. Thanks to the birthplace of Classical Classroom, Houston Public Media. Thanks to New Why, our web folks. To find out more about them, go to classicalclassroomshow.com slash NW. That's N as in new, and W as in Y. Thanks to all of our amazing guests for their time and generosity over the years. Honestly, we wish we could have put all of you into this episode. And we also want to thank their representatives and managers who work behind the scenes to get these people onto this show. Thanks to me for saying so many words. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time.